Who Gets to Decide, a liberty-based podcast that brings a little piece of sanity to a confused society drowning in a culture of craziness. And here is your host, Seth Martin. Well, all right. What's up, everybody? And welcome to another episode of Who Gets to Decide. This is episode 398. Uh, thank you for joining me this evening. Glad you're here and always, always happy you're listening. Well, I am back from snow skiing, had a blast with my son, Ethan. We went to Jackson Hole, Wyoming and struck it gold, so to speak, with the weather. It snowed almost every day we were there and the skiing was great. The town was beautiful. The people were awesome. Uh, shout out to to anyone from uh, Wyoming, that's just an amazing place you guys call home. And anyway, had a great time back in uh, Texas where it's warm and humid and sticky <laughs> and uh, trying to get back into uh, the routine here. So before I left, I had recorded, as you know, uh, several pieces uh, about Keith Knight and Again, I just think Keith Knight is, you know, a future star in the cause of liberty. And I just really like what he's doing. His book is called Domestic Imperialism, Nine Reasons I Left Progressivism. And, you know, the reason I wanted to promote this book and talk about some of the stories in it is because most people you know, even if they're Republicans, even if they're quote-unquote conservatives, have a lot of progressive um, ideas built within them. In fact, if you listen to conservatives on TV, whether they be you know, congressmen or senators or whatever, they will say things that are, that are rooted in progressivism. And so you may, you may look at Keith Knight's book and go, well, I'm not a progressive. I don't even know any progressive. So why would I want to read that and try to talk to um, some progressives in my life? I don't even have any progressives in my life. Well, again, the reason is, is because even the conservatives, you know, have progressive ideas rooted in their belief system and their worldview. I can promise you because there's, uh, in fact, if you look at the spectrum of political thought, Every year that goes by, progressivism grows its share of that spectrum. And this is just the nature of it. Um, people soften their ideas on things over time. They, uh, if, you, if you ask people about Obamacare today, for example, most people will tell you about things they like about it. They, won't, uh, they don't have the vitriol for it that they did back in 2009. And this is because... As progressivism and progressive ideas get a foothold, people kind of become comfortable with it, and they they uh, satisfy they 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 get satisfied with it, or uh, they settle for it. And and so this is one of the reasons I, I I want to profile this book. But today we're gonna we've cut out a section around school and schooling, and I don't know if he talks about it in this segment, but. Schooling uh, is something that came to us by way of Germany. You know, uh, we used to have uh, we used to have schools uh, that were were 
places where people were taught and, and things like that. But schooling it was a unique idea that came out of Germany that had a lot more to do with discipline and um, following instructions and almost like a almost like a military background. You can go on YouTube and look at the history of schooling. It's it's actually very interesting. And uh, the ideas were were less about learning and more about control and discipline and things like that. But, um, you know, this is something that we've all come become very used to is, is schooling. You know, uh, if you're if you're a young adult out there and you've got uh, children in daycare, you're sitting there telling yourself, man, I can't wait till they get out of daycare and I can put them in school. And, and just trust me when I tell you, that's going to be the beginning of your problems. <laughs> yes, it's not costing you directly. It's costing society as a whole. But there will be a cost to you, uh, I predict. It just won't be necessarily... Uh, the cost of education. It'll be some other cost. The cost of uh, of your child making friends with somebody that's, uh, let's say, less desirable, or somebody that uh, likes to do drugs more than your kids. Um, maybe you maybe your kids don't know anything at all about sex, but you know, within a couple of years of being in the public school system, they will be coming home and talking to you about everybody's doing this and everybody's doing that. And so the, the, the desire to try to maintain innocence with your child is, is just a challenge in the public school system. And that doesn't even get into all the negative things. I mean, that's just, that's just how do I keep my child innocent? How do, I, how do I let them have a childhood, right? I mean, everybody in the public school system is trying to make your kid grow up faster than they really want to, whether it be... be the, the curriculum itself, you know, you got kids now that are, that are 11 years old learning, you know, pretty advanced kind of geometry, not, not advanced, but geometry and some algebra. And, you know, a lot of times you didn't learn that until you were a sophomore in high school. So even on the curriculum side, they're trying to make your child grow up faster, but so certainly on the cultural side, you're going to, you're going to see all kinds of problems. I mean, um, if you, if you've chosen not to buy your child a phone, as soon as they get in the public school system, they're going to start telling you about little Johnny and little Betty has a, they have a phone. Why can't I have a phone? And this kind of thing. And of course there, even if they don't have a phone, the other kids are going to be showing you, your kids, TikTok videos and things like that. So, uh, this is just a challenge culturally, um, for our society. And it all started with this idea of, 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 of really not educating people so much as really controlling and teaching discipline and having children being told what to do and learn, learn to get used to being told what to do. That's, that's really what schooling was about. So I want to play some clips here from, from Keith Knight and, and let you hear his perspective and then I'll come back in on the backside and, and make some additional comments. Oh, and uh, I want there uh, to be schools as well. But one, they should be voluntary. And two, you make the exact point. By them saying, well, I can't believe people are so uninformed to have elected someone like Donald Trump. Or, oh, the, all these people online, they spread these 
you know, debunked conspiracy theories, as they tell us Putin installed our previous president without a shred of evidence. But uh, yeah, they're the ones who are constantly saying that society is so uneducated after the majority of us have gone through 12 years of state uh, indoctrination. All right. I've, I've already got to stop because he does something here that that uh, that I see a lot when you start talking about libertarian ideas to somebody. They'll say things like, like he just said, you know, well, we've got to have, we've got to have some government involvement in society or otherwise, you know, people won't get educated. And, and so it, it, it doesn't, it doesn't dawn on people when they say things like this, that, that society as a whole is also at the same time criticizing citizens for electing somebody like Donald Trump or for doing something else that's considered, you know, an ill in society. And this happens all the time. You know, people will complain about the roads and then you say something like, well, we need to get the government out of the road business. And they'll say, you know, they'll, they'll say, well, you know, but we need the roads. I mean, how are we going to build the roads if we don't have government? And, and this all the while while they're complaining about the roads. And so it's just a feature of government uh, that, that, that people have a disconnect about. Um, there, there's kind of two disconnects. One, you don't get what you vote for. So I may go get a whole bunch of people in my local community to go vote for the candidate who's the most serious about repairing all the roads. And maybe the guy's very sincere, right? And he says, yeah, I'm going to fix all the roads. And then we elect him and he gets in there and he takes a peek at the budget and he's got all these other constraints. And next thing you know, the roads aren't getting done. And so this is, this is kind of what happens. You know, people, people have their, um, their issue. Okay. That they get elected on or whatever they get in there and they find out, Oh wow. It's not that simple because there's 10,000 other things that are requiring money. And, uh, and you don't get what you vote for. You just don't get it. Okay. But at the same time, we complain about the roads and we think we can't conceive of another way that the roads can be built. And the school system is very much the same way. We, we look at that and go, wow, you know, um, I, you know, I don't want to get rid of the public schools because I don't want to, I personally don't want to spend $12,000 a year, you know, trying to educate my child. And then let's say I do that. Let's say it's okay for me to do that. Well, then what about all the people that don't have a thousand dollars a month to educate their children? So people fall back to, well, we need a public school system, you know, but then they complain about the public school system or the public school system's not producing the results that they want, or their kids are being exposed to things that they don't want them to be exposed to, or any half dozen other things that are negative about the public school system. And, and this is just, this is just the way it always goes with government. You just cannot make any ground with people because they're afraid of stepping out into the unknown, but then they're, they're just hanging on to what's familiar because they don't know anything else and they can't imagine anything else. Even though the market provides for almost everything, including education, it provides for except K through 12. And, uh, and yet 
people have trouble conceiving this. You know, I, I was I saw this in my own life when my son was uh, before he was a junior in high school. We ended up taking him out of the high school um, for a couple of reasons. One, he he was spending all day there, but then coming home with like six hours worth of homework, and he was in band. Um, and, and just a number of other things. So he wasn't getting any sleep. And this really bothered us. The, and, and we would call the school and say, hey, what are y'all doing during the day? Because my son's coming home with like six hours worth of homework every night. And they were like, well, you know, the AP curriculum, it's pretty, it's pretty demanding. And they just really didn't, it's like they didn't even care, right? So uh, this was happening. And also at the same time, he was pretty advanced in math, and so he had pretty much taken everything the school had to offer in math. And, and so I'd kind of talked him out of just, why don't you let me cobble together a curriculum for you online, and we'll find somebody to teach you math. Maybe you go to uh, the junior college first and go ahead and take advanced calculus, and, and then we'll, we'll find you somebody to do advanced mathematics later on. And so we did that, and we cobbled together a, a curriculum online. We used the Ron Paul homeschool system for all his humanities and economics and history and English and stuff like that. We used a, a company called Educator.com for the sciences like uh, chemistry and biology and physics. And then we used uh, uh, we found some guy in Montana who was like a math genius who had put together uh, a curriculum for math, and that's what he did. And he's Got up every day. He slept till about 10.30. Got up and worked for about four hours, four or five hours every day. And then did whatever he wanted to do after his friends got out of school. You know, no more homework. And it was just the greatest thing ever. And he did really well. He's done really well in college. He's moved on and and, and he works uh, uh, for Walmart in their corporate office up in Arkansas. So he's doing fine, okay? And his last two years, we just completely opted out of the public school system and it didn't even cost that much. Now he is very self-directed and I know not every child is that way, but if you have a child like that, you ought to consider a program like that and get them out of the pre-prison is what I call it. All right, let's, let's see what Keith has to say next. So what I did was I uh, tried to do some research and I came across the research of a woman, Pauline Dixon. She wrote, uh, she has two studies, one is titled, Why the Denial, Low-Cost Private Schools in Developing Countries and Their Contributions to Education. So notice she doesn't say, why the denial uh, schooling in the Hamptons? She says, let me take the worst people on earth if it can work here. And by work, we mean uh, generally yield a uh, high degree of utility for parents and children alike. Well, then it is something that can be generally embraced. So before this, I actually used two examples of how the Statue of Liberty, something uh, beautiful that uh, I'm sure Tucker Carlson would also find beautiful, uh, was voluntarily funded along with the Salisbury Cathedral in England. So uh, we can have beauty in the voluntary sector, and we can get things like churches, which so many people can go to totally for free. I have been to many churches, and I have never been charged to, uh, to, to walk in the door. So we see this, something that people go to one day a week, they're able to voluntarily fund and have a building and have a staff. So if people are going somewhere five days a week, they might find more value in it. 
And there might be a incentive on the other side of the equation for the teachers and administrators to actually produce a much higher quality product. Yeah, I've seen these reports too in these uh, poor countries like India. India is a big uh, private education. It's a, it's one of the largest, uh, fastest growing markets in pri- uh, private education in the world. And generally speaking, people in India don't have a lot of money, but they're able to cobble together uh, these education centers where people can pay for their uh, children to go to school. And it's affordable and it produces results. So it's just not the case. Now, it's not like we could snap our fingers and tomorrow this all exists. But it, you know, it starts with people going, you know, this is possible. This can be done, right? And, uh, and, and, and more and more people going, hey, you know, this public education system's for the birds. You know, we need to get out of that, you know, opt out of it. Uh, and then eventually, you know, if enough people opt out of it, then we can get rid of the taxes and, uh, you know, everybody's self-funding their education anyway. And the, probably what will come out of it is some scholarship system for those children that are uh, less advantaged or, you know, can't, can't, you know, make it. Or maybe we just have a public school system for the less advantaged. You know, I don't know. I'm not sure what, what you do about that. But the point is, the public school system is not educating people. It's teaching people discipline. It's trying to um, standardize education, but by and large, they just move people along. Most people are reading below grade level. Most people are doing math below grade level. They're doing their their comprehension of history is awful. They don't they don't know anything after going to school for twelve years in our public education system, and that is just a, you know a tragedy. And so, now, the other point that he brings up that I really like is he, he says, hey, you know, churches are publicly funded, uh, or privately funded, rather, and, you know, people only go to those one day a week. You know, why can't, you know, something that somebody goes to five days a week, surely we could privately fund that, you know, if, if churches can only be, if churches can be funded where people only go one day a week, great point. These are, these are great things. This is like Keith Knight is just his way of bringing up some of these obvious things that help you embrace the ideas a little bit easier. I think it's just genius. And another reason I think uh, you should read the book. Pauline Dixon summarizes her findings uh, in this study. Private education is good for the poor, a study of private schools serving the poor in low-income cr- countries. She says, the majority of poor parents chose private unaided schools for their children. Just the fact that when you give people choice, they opt for the competitive voluntary sector is so important because the progressive is constantly saying, we need to empower people and let them vote. Well, look, if your right to vote was taken away, there would be some psychological damage, but it would have no effect on the actual outcome of any election. Where you send your kids to school, having school choice, that drastically changes every aspect of your life and the child's life. So they want to give you tons of choice in something that doesn't matter and no choice in something that actually determines the outcome of your life. Damn, this is such a good point. I mean, how many, especially lately, you know, they're talking about Donald Trump and how he threatens democracy. And and then when election time comes, it's like you're 
the most important thing is your right to vote. And, and they just constantly are telling us about how democracy is sacred and your right to vote is sacred. And you know what? These things don't even make a difference in your life. It doesn't even matter. So just like Keith Knight says, they want to give you, you know, all this choice, which is not really even a choice if you think about it. I mean, look, when you go vote, how many candidates? I mean, four at the most. And when it's president, it's always two or three. So you, you almost have no choice anyway. It's not like you have a, a, uh, an array of choices there. You have one to two to three, something like that. But they want to give you all kinds of choice to vote for candidates who there's almost no difference between. But then they want to, you know, obstruct your choice when it comes to doing something like education for your children. And that has way more impact on their lives than your ability to choose some candidate who's supposedly safeguarding their right to an education. I mean, it's just such a great point. And, um, and this is just often lost on people. They, we just don't connect the dots in, in this way. And, and Keith Knight, he's just got a knack for doing this. It's kind of like I used to listen to Peter Schiff a lot. And Peter Schiff is a great financial economist, and I really like him. He's always very entertaining, and he is the king of analogies. Man, that guy has an analogy for everything. He could be talking about something and just just off the cuff go, you know, it's kind of like if you did this, and that, and it's a perfect analogy. Well, Keith Knight is like that in bringing up these dichotomies, these 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 things that are on the opposite side of, of, a, of an issue that most people don't connect. And uh, I, just, I just can't say enough. I wish I was better at it because I think it's easier and more relatable to make your case if you can do this. You don't have to persuade people using logic and reason. You can just give an example like, you know, politicians want to give you a bunch of choice when it comes to vote, sort of, I mean, they want to give everybody a choice. Okay. Let's put it that way. They don't, it's not like they want to give you a lot to choose from, but they want everybody to be able to choose a candidate, but they don't want everybody to be able to choose their school. And isn't that interesting? And it is true that choosing a candidate has almost no impact on your life, but choosing your school would have a huge impact on your life. Dixon goes on. Teacher costs are significantly less in private, unhated schools than in government schools. Gender equity is maintained in private, uh, unaid unaided school enrollment. School enrollment is underestimated. Free primary education serves to crowd out private schools and does not increase overall enrollment. Better pupil-teacher ratios prevail in private, unaided than in government schools. More teaching is occurring in private than in government schools. Every single thing you can imagine that we get the objections of. She went to third world countries and found that the voluntary sector was uh, better able to achieve these ends than the coercive sector. All we have to do is take the progressive claim that they're always giving us. They say, well, monopolies are really bad because with monopolies, you have higher costs and lower quality than you otherwise would under competition. So we need antitrust laws. The same thing applies for the state having a monopoly on compulsory education. They don't have the incentive to really get the good information out there. 
Yeah, almost everything you can measure is better in a private system in a private system, excuse me, than it is in a in a public uh, coercive system. But the private sector, for whatever reason, is always associated with profit and some sort of social evil, and the public sector is always associated with altruism and equality and things like that. But the, the problem is, I mean, to the extent it is equal, everybody's equally stupid. Everybody's equally, you know, deprived of information that could make their lives better. Uh, education that could help them understand the world better so that they could grow up to do something in the world that's of value to somebody and, uh, and, and make a living doing it and maybe have the chance to be happy at the same time. Now, the other thing he brings up, I think is brilliant, is the whole monopoly idea. You know, we're constantly being told that these tech companies are monopolies or, you know, Amazon is a monopoly and um, uh, Meta is a, a monopoly. And this is evil because monopolies, you know, produce um, less, uh, less good and at a higher cost. And so, therefore, monopolies are bad. And yet, government runs monopolies in everything it does. This is what they mean by one size fits all. When you ever hear that term, uh, you'll hear conservatives complain about it. Oh, the Democrats have this one size fits all solution, blah, 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 blah. You know, what they're talking about is a monopoly. It's, it's a coercive, everybody must do X. That's what one size fits all is. It's a monopoly. The public school system is a monopoly. It crowds out the private sector. In fact, anything the government does crowds out the private sector. It makes it difficult because it's associated with free. Anything the public sector does is considered to be free, even though it's not free. But the government's charging you for it anyway, whether you participate in it or not. So in that sense, it is free. And the private sector is always needing to charge for what it does, even though it's voluntary. And so it has this crowding out effect. And so a lot of public schools, uh, quite frankly, they're, they're considered expensive. Why? Because there's just not enough competition. Even the, pub, even the private schools are not doing everything they can to uh, use innovation, use technology, uh, use new methods, uh, invest in capital, things like that, that they could do to bring down the cost of education. They don't even do it because they've, they've simply carved out a niche for an alternative to public school that's just more expensive. Um, and so that's how they, that's how they do it. Now, if we ever got to this voucher system where people were competing for the government money, it probably would tend to drive down cost as a competition, you know, flourished in that, in that environment. But, you know, we've been talking about that for as long as I've been politically active and there's been no movement on it. So I don't have any hope that that's ever going to change, uh, not in our society. Um, all right, let's see what uh, Keith has to say next. I, I forget uh, the statistic that I had found from Corey DeAngelis. He cites um, the uh, National Education Foundation. I know I put it in the book. It's something like spending on education has increased uh, adjusted for inflation, something like 280% since 1960. And there are very few results to brag about. In fact, the results are so bad after 12 years of schooling, progressives say 
well, obviously you have to go to college. You didn't do much for 13 years. All you did was everything we asked five hours a day, you know, five days a week for uh, 10 months out of the years uh, for, for the last 12 years. They know it's so bad that they're constantly advocating you go to college afterwards because they know how little you gained in there. So uh, those are empirical realities, along with the moral arguments as to uh, why uh, the education sector should uh, be brought under the volunteerism umbrella. You know, the fact is a critical look at everything that the government does could be done better in the private sector. Now, I know people say that all the time and and don't give a lot of proof for it. Um, but, you know, we don't have to. Here's the thing. Here's what I always like to tell people. We don't have to know what all the answers are. I don't have to know how the healthcare system would be different without government's influence. I don't have to know how uh, public or private school would be different without government's influence. I don't have to know the solutions to all these things. We have entrepreneurs. We have people that that love what they do and would love an opportunity to do it in a way that they would be rewarded for it. I used to live. I used to have a neighbor, and she's in school, and you know she's in the public school system and everything. And I used to tell her, I'd say. You know, you could make so much more money in a private um, in a private environment. You know, she was very passionate about what she does. She was very smart. Uh, she's since moved away, so I don't really know. I haven't kept up with her, but she was very passionate, very smart, and just committed to what she was doing. Well, somebody like that will always make more money in the private sector because there's more demand for people like that, and the in and, and so. There's this cleansing effect that also happens when you have a for-profit system. You know, nobody's going to put up with some battle axe teacher that's got a surly attitude and treats the students like crap and, you know, doesn't seek to reach people. She just drones on about, and I say she, I'm just picking on uh, a stereotypical she, but uh, it could be a man as well, but somebody just drones on about some subject and is not very engaging, doesn't, they're not interesting in any way. They're just trying to plow through, you know, the curriculum that's, that's handed down to them by the state. I mean, that's the public school system. You know, back to my son, when he was taking, um, when we cobbled together that online curriculum for him, you know, the Ron Paul homeschool has people like Tom Woods teaching history. Go listen to Tom Woods. I mean, that guy makes history come alive. I mean, it's exciting to listen to him talk about history. And there's guys on there from uh, that teach economics that are from like the Mises Institute. And they make economics sound so interesting. And it just comes alive. And you learn so much more when you have a teacher that's really engaging. I remember when I was at Texas A&M way back in uh, the late '80s, early '90s. Well, I graduated in '90, but I had an, an, an excuse me, an economics professor. Uh, I'll never forget him, man. His uh, he was he was from Virginia, and I I won't mention him because you know I've lost track of him. I don't. He probably wouldn't appreciate that. But he uh, he was so engaging. He he just was so passionate about the subject, and you learned so much, and you did so much better in there. I mean, I got an A in there, and I'm. At the time, I didn't even really like economics, 
but the teacher was so good, you know, he used to make you stand up and he would ask you a question and you had to sit in numbered seats and stuff. And he would, he had this Southern accent. He'd, Mr. Martin, tell us about the supply and demand. You know, he would ask some question and you had to stand up and answer. And if you started down the wrong path or you answered wrong, he would go X <laughs> really loud. <laughs> and, uh, of course you would sit, that was your cue to sit down and if you got it right, he would stick his thumb up in there and he'd go, call home and tell your parents you're doing a good job in school, you know. He was just a really passionate, engaging individual. And there are people out there like that. But the problem is they're buried in some shitty, half-baked, half-assed education system where, where they can't flourish and they can't shine like they otherwise would. And, you know, we've, we've got to take the shackles off the, off this education system and the coerciveness and, and the, and the administrative weight, you know, one of the reasons school's so expensive, it's not because there, uh, there's, you know, not an, you know, there's too few students in the classroom and, and teachers are making too much money. It's because of all the administrators, the principals and the assistant principals and the assistants to the assistants and and, you know, when they pick curriculums, you know, they, they, have a, they have a curriculum person for, let's say, math, let's say algebra, for, let's say, eighth grade, okay, for every district in the state, okay? There's no, there's, no, there's no getting together with other districts and sharing resources. They have a person that picks, let's say, eighth grade math for a district in the state of Texas, and I don't know how many districts there are in the state of Texas. There's, there's thousands. There's thousands of school districts. So there's no economies of scale. There's no, there's no mechanism by which you can really uh, get the performance of the best teachers, the most engaging ones. It's just a, a hierarchical, bureaucratic system that um, never changes, doesn't use any technology, uh, or at least doesn't use it effectively. I mean, there's been a lot of technological uh, technological advancement, and they've brought computers into school, and they have labs and all kinds of things, but it, they're not bringing to bear any results. And this is just what happens in a coercive uh, system. You know, just like the Soviet Union collapsed because there's no incentive for anybody to do any good, it collapsed. It wasn't because the people were stupid or anything like that. I mean, you know, the greatest selling automatic rifle of all time is the AK-47. And the K in AK stands for Kalashnikov. That guy died broke. And he, he made, he invented the most successful automatic rifle ever produced in the entire world, ever, and died broke. And it's a miracle that he even produced that with the, without any incentive to do so. So, look, yes, the profit system uh, and, and free people doing what free people do can improve our education system. But we've got to get people thinking this way. We cannot, you cannot just... When your kid goes into first grade, 
just you know automatically drop them off at the public school without investigating anything, without asking any questions, without you know demanding. And even if you demand a lot of performance in these schools, you're just not going to get it. That's just not what happens. So with that, I'm going to wrap up. I hope you enjoyed that subject. Um, you know, I, it's an important one. It's one that touches everybody in America. And we have just been living with a system loaded with rot far too long. And I'm just grateful for people like Keith Knight who can put things in perspective and uh, engage us in a way to help us think and to maybe consider things that we hadn't considered before. All right, everybody. Thanks for coming in. We'll talk to you later. Peace out.